So there's always a little bit of a spoiler alert in the children's moment, so you get a little, little taste of what we're going to be talking about this morning. I encourage you all to take out your bulletin for a moment, and don't worry, there's no responsive reading that I'm going to make you do right now. But I want you to turn to the, to the front cover there, and you know, you'll see this, uh, this nice little sketched uh, picture of our church that's stretched a little oddly wide. And down at the bottom, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever paid attention to this, right? It's, it's something, you know, it's just, it's just there. We don't really use the front of the bulletin very often other than to look pretty. But right there at the bottom, it says, Celebrating Jesus Christ by reaching seekers and believers, serving God's people, encouraging spiritual growth. So this is the mission statement of Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church. It's, uh, it's how we say that we are going to live out our mission. And I want to talk about today that last part, encouraging spiritual growth. Because this is a, it's a churchy phrase, right? It's something that, that you don't really talk about outside of a religious organization. It's, it's not like, you know, you're, you're at the gym and talking about working on my spiritual growth right now or anything like that. It's just it's not a common phrase outside of the church. But it is a very important phrase for the church, and so we're going, to do, uh, we're going to do something that might make some people a little uncomfortable, and it's okay to be uncomfortable, that's what I'm here for. I want to ask, whenever I, whenever I use the, the phrase spiritual growth, what comes to mind? And this is like a call and response time. So you're, you're welcome to talk during the sermon, it's, it's fine. All right. Let's change it up. How about if I, turn, if I change the terminology to spiritual disciplines, which I, I personally don't like the word disciplines when it, spiritual, I don't know, it's, it's a personal thing. There's nothing really wrong with it. But if I were to say spiritual disciplines, what comes to mind? I'll start walking up and down the aisle. Maybe I'll start pointing to people like I'm a high school teacher. The Ten Commandments, okay. Very good, very good. Other thoughts? What comes to mind? Praying? Praying? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great one. Other thoughts? Yeah, donating time, serving other people. These are excellent. People in the back are getting nervous. They're like, I sit on the back row for a reason. You're not supposed to come back here. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, no, these, these are really good. Uh, so spiritual disciplines are, uh, are our opportunity to on a daily basis, on a very practical basis, connect with the divine. And so whenever we talk about spiritual disciplines, I always had a problem with it growing up in the church whenever people would talk about spiritual disciplines and, and the people in the church would say, you, you have to pray, you have to go to church, you have to serve people, you have to read your Bible, you have to do all of these things. And I had a problem with it. Once again, it's a, it's a personal thing. It, I didn't think that there was anything wrong with doing that. But I don't like it when people tell me what to do, especially if they don't give me a reason. Because they would, most of the time, people in the church would pull out the same answer that my parents would use. It was either because I said so or because God said so. And I, but I, I didn't like that. And so, so what I want us to think about today is why should we grow spiritually? Why? What's the reason for it? This is a question that I had to ask often as a child because 
I needed to know why. If my parents were gonna tell me, go clean your room, then we would have a conversation in which I would say, why? And they would say, because it's dirty. And I would say, yeah, it's supposed to be. I made it that way. And they would say, go clean your room. You need to do this. This is a chore. And I would say, why? Nobody else goes in there but me. It's just it's my space. That's how I manage myself. Of course, I wasn't as eloquent at eight years old or whatever, however old I was. And so, uh, and so I had to know why. And that's kind of the question that, uh, that our passage in, in 2 Peter chapter 1 starts to address today. The answer, the question of why should we grow spiritually? Why should we practice spiritual disciplines? And I'll tell you what what Peter came up with for his answer. And this is in verse 8. In verse 8, Peter says, I don't have it memorized, so i got to get up here. In verse 8, Peter says, for, these, for if these things are yours and are increasing among you, these things being spiritual disciplines and spiritual growth, if they are yours and increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. And so another way to look at this is work backwards. What's, what could happen if we didn't grow spiritually or didn't practice spiritual disciplines? Well, Ultimately, we become ineffective and unfruitful. And that's a problem because because the church is called to be effective and fruitful in the community, in the world. So this this all comes from uh, what's known as Peter's final challenge. So this book, 2 Peter, was may or may not have been written by Peter himself. Some scholars think that it may have been a close friend or disciple of Peter's. Uh, but either way, the message is still the same. It's the, it's the last, the final challenge of Peter. And he's, uh, be, this is being written to the churches in Asia Minor and that area. And during this time, Peter's been kind of helping them develop the church in that area. And they have been trying to figure out in Asia Minor and the surrounding areas, what does it mean to be the church? What's our identity? Who are we? Why are we doing this? What's the purpose? Who are we as the church? And so Peter's final challenge kind of comes out as an answer to that, to say, well, this is what it means to be the church. This is your new identity. This is what you are taking on as followers of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, and so as he opens up his letter, he starts with you know a greeting because uh, those formalities then. And then he dives into uh, this really odd claim. Okay, then starting in in verse 3, Peter says, God's divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us through these things his precious and very great promise so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants in the divine nature. So for Peter, the call of the church, the call of people who would follow Jesus are to be participants in the divine nature. And this is, a, this is an odd expression, and we're going to dive into it a little more later about what it means to be participants in the divine nature. So I want you to hold on to that expression, put it in your front left pocket, because we're going to be pulling it out again in a second. 
But in preparation for participating in the divine nature, in preparation for living out the call of the church, Peter lets the church know that you've been given a foundation to build off of, okay? It's not your, I mean, it may seem like you're starting from scratch, but you're really not. You're building off a foundation. And that foundation, as he says in verse 3, is uh, provided by God. His divine power has given, given us everything needed for life and godliness. God has provided the foundation. And that foundation has been provided through God's grace, and so we talk a lot about grace in the United Methodist Church because it's kind of of utmost, important in our, of utmost importance in our faith. It's, this, uh, it's God's love manifest in the way that God cares for us in grace. And it is by God's grace that we are even able to function in the world. And so God has provided us everything we need for life and godliness through grace. But Peter says, grace while it's a good place to start, is not a good place to stop. And this is often where Christians do stop at. We develop our and base our faith on this notion of God's grace and goodness. That God's grace, which has gone before us and prepared the way for us, has transformed us and is leading us on toward holiness. And we take that faith and we just put it in a box and we stop right there. And Peter says... Grace is just the foundation. It's the starting point. It's the place where we begin. And now we're going to carry on. And he says, the next step is to start building one aspect of Christian character on top of another. And he goes into this really weird rant in which he says, for this very reason, and this very reason, by the way, is the, to participate in the divine nature. For this very reason, you, may, you must make every effort to support your faith. So faith is the foundation. Faith is the basis, what we start with. You must make every effort to support your faith with goodness. And goodness then with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness and godliness with mutual affection and mutual affection with love. And so each and every one of these things are a practice that Peter encourages the church to start taking on in their own lives to build on top of each other. And here's the unique thing. Look at the bookends of it. We start with faith Okay, the basis of, you know, what, what we're even doing here, faith in the grace of God, faith in the love of Jesus Christ, and we build up to the other end, which is love. And the reason why love is at the end, you would think that love would be at the beginning, like you start with love and you build to it. But this kind of love that Peter is talking about, it's not an easy kind of love. It's not the squishy Valentine's Day kind of love. It's not, it's not this kind of love that you can just talk about or say, like, I love Taco Bell or whatever it is that you love. It's a much more extravagant kind of love. This kind of love in the Greek, the Greek word for it is agape. You may have heard that before. Agape love is one of the many words that, Greek, that the Greek people used for love. And agape love means unconditional, self-sacrificial love. It's a kind of love that doesn't come easy because it requires a lot from us and can oftentimes 
not lead to a whole lot in return. And so this kind of love is placed at the end of this, this building model that Peter has presented to us because it takes time to get there. And each and every one of these things that Peter brings up, they take time and effort. They're not something that just happen accidentally. It's not like you can just come to church and, you know, open the hymnal and sing the songs and listen to some weird person talk for way too long. And then all of a sudden you'll just be washed over with this spirit. And the next thing you know, you'll be leaving this place built up in goodness and knowledge and in self-control and endurance and mutual affection and godliness and, you know, all all of these things uh, building on one another. They each take time and intentional effort. They don't happen by accident. They only happen within the framework of the grace of God. And so during, this, uh, during these past couple of weeks, we've been talking about a, uh, a new series. It's not a new series anymore, but we've been talking about a series known as Breaking Down These Four Walls. And it's about being the church more than just a building. We, you know, we sang the song a couple of weeks ago, the church is not a building, the church is not a steeple, the church is not a resting place, the church is a people. The church is meant to be a people, not a building. And so in order to understand our call in the world to be the church, not just attend the church, we have to be willing to break down these four walls and barriers that confine us to just being a building. And so, when taking this in this framework of spiritual growth, as Peter is proposing, we see that that with breaking down four walls being a demand to show the world that the church is more than a building, it requires allowing ourselves to grow beyond just a people who come to a building. We have to grow beyond that. It's okay to start there. We have to have some starting place, but that's not the end goal of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's not just the end goal is, all right, we made it to church this Sunday morning. We're doing good. It keeps going. It means being a people who, by the grace of God, grow in our spiritual lives and then reveal that growth in our actions. So Peter has presented us a model for growth. And it's a step-by-step thing because we know that we have to, uh, we can't just jump straight to the end. We have to go through a couple of positions to get where we're going. That's just how, uh, how it works linearly. And so I come back to the question of why do we grow? Why? I want to know why. If, if, you know, the Bible's going to be telling me I need to grow, if weird preacher's going to be telling me I need to grow, then why? What's the purpose of it? Well, we can start with Peter's explanation that it's so that we don't become in, uh, ineffective and unfruitful in our uh, ministry, in the, in the knowledge of the love of Christ. But also, it's because we are called to be a people who are part of something greater than ourselves. We are called to be part of something greater than ourselves into this holy mission that God has for us. Additionally, it's just the natural order of our lives. I mean, take human beings, for example. Just like we can't stay infants forever, 
you know, you probably have realized this in your own life, you can't really stay an infant forever. It, it doesn't work. So too, we can't just simply stay spiritually immature. Now, staying spiritually immature is a lot easier than staying an infant for forever, but the consequences are ultimately the same. If you stay an infant forever, then you're never able to actually do anything. I don't know if any of you have ever encountered an infant before, but they can't really do a whole lot on their own. They're really good at crying. Most, some of them are really good at sleeping uh, and other bodily functions. But aside from that, infants pretty much cap right there. You know, there's not, not a whole lot. In our own spiritual journeys, we are called to move beyond just the basics. Because if we just stay at that infant stage in our spiritual growth, then we never do anything. We never contribute to society. We never, become, we never play our part in the mission of God in the world. We never do anything. And then we grow because it allows us to be the church rather than just to attend the church. And to be the church is vastly different than just attending the church because the church's call in the world, the church's call to this community right here around us is to be a people of, of faith, a people of goodness, a people of knowledge, a people of, of uh, endurance, a people of self-control, a people of godliness, a people of mutual affection, a people of love. We are called to be the church, not just attend the church. And so breaking down four walls requires that we grow. And so the next question we come to is how do we grow? How do we start moving in any direction? What do we do? I like the practicality of this aspect. And honestly, the easiest way is through spiritual disciplines. This notion that we have very practical things that we can do in our daily lives that press us onward. Things like prayer, studying the Bible, things like coming to worship, things like fellowship, joining together, even if we're not talking about something spiritual, just being in the presence of other people is a spiritual discipline. Participating in the sacraments. In the United Methodist Church, we have baptism and, uh, and Holy Communion. And even in baptism, even if you're not the one being baptized, you still, whenever we come together as a congregation, you're still a participant in the ritual of baptism. And through uh, both that and Holy Communion, we are able to draw closer to the divine. And then perhaps most importantly, by remaining open to the work of God in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. See, one of the, one of the greatest dangers that Christians face, uh, particularly in the church today, is that we get to a point where we're like, okay, I understand what it means to be a Christian. Okay, I understand uh, what it means, why, like why I go to church. I understand these, this and that. And then we kind of leave that there and stop. And that's as far as we go, and that's as far as we grow. And we kind of close ourselves off to the notion that God is still working in and around us and through us. And so by remaining open-minded to the fact that God is still at work, that God didn't finish God's work 
you know, 2,000 years ago, or that God didn't finish God's work whenever uh, we accepted Christ into our hearts or whenever we started attending church or whatever it might be, whenever we accept that God is still working in and through us up, up beyond the last moments of our life here on earth, then we can embrace spiritual growth. And so here's the reality that we're faced with. God loves the world. John 3, 16, right? You know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. God loves the world. And God is determined to rescue it, to rescue us, to save us, to draw us into an eternal love. And God invites us to be participants in that plan of rescue in that activity, by conforming to the divine nature. And here's where I want you to reach back into your front left pocket and pull back out this phrase we were talking about at the beginning, participating in the divine nature. What this means is, by participating in the divine nature, we open ourselves to who God is and then live likewise. There are multiple points in scripture where God says, be holy because I am holy. Love because I love. And so as God invites us to participate in the divine nature, God is saying, come, let your life reflect my life and love. Let your life show my life and love to the world. And so whenever God is inviting us to be participants in that divine nature, whenever God is inviting us to be participants in holiness and in love and in self-sacrifice, God is inviting us to that same agape love that Peter was talking about as kind of the final, the final stage in his uh, plan of development, in his growth plan that starts with faith and then builds on goodness and knowledge and endurance and self-control and godliness and mutual affection and then to love. That's, that's what God is drawing us nearer and nearer to. And so the point of our spiritual disciplines and our spiritual growth is to grow into that divine nature. And then to live it out in our everyday lives. And so when we're faced with that, with the possibility of living out the divine nature... With the possibility of being love for a world that so desperately needs love. When faced with the opportunity to be the church in the community rather than attend the church in the community. The question left facing us, and my question for us today as we go forward is, are we willing to grow spiritually? Are we willing? And that's the key, willingness. Because God doesn't force us into do, to doing anything. God didn't create robots for God to program and tell us what to do. We're here with the opportunity of choice. And we have to be willing to grow spiritually. Willing to participate in the divine nature. And if we're not, that's okay. But just know that we will never go beyond these four walls if we're not willing. Just know that we will remain a building in the community, maybe. Maybe we'll remain, but we'll just be a building in the community 
where God has called us to be the church in the community. We wouldn't go beyond infancy in our spiritual journeys without willingness. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to grow? Because if we are, then we can join in that holy plan to rescue the world by participating in the divine nature of God, by becoming people of unconditional, self-sacrificial love as we grow in these spiritual disciplines. So let us be a people who are willing to grow spiritually. And let us pray.